we're in Ephesians 5. You can open your Bibles there. We're going to start in verse 3. We're going to go through verse 7. And uh, as we're looking at this today, I I just, I I was trying to think of of some way that I could kind of illustrate this. And and, uh, I thought about when I was a child. Uh, My dad was from Spartanburg, South Carolina area. Um, I don't expect all of y'all to know what that means. Some of y'all may. But that's the upper kind of western corner of the state. And, uh, of course, I grew down, up down in the, the southeast in Charleston, the middle eastern uh, low country. But my dad grew up there on a farm, and we would go visit. And uh, it's very close, just about an hour from Asheville. And, and uh, so uh, most summers, we didn't have a lot of money, so we'd go stay with his sister. And then we would make an excursion up there to Maggie Valley. Anybody ever been to Maggie Valley? Cherokee Nation. Two of my, my dad, two of my dad's brothers married two full-blooded Cherokee Indian women that were sisters, and uh, so all those cousins were double first cousins. But uh, so we go to Cherokee Nation as a kid. Man, Daniel Boone was on TV. Y'all remember Daniel Boone in the '60s? Yeah, amen. Um, and uh, and and I just loved all that stuff. Still do. Okay, I told y'all I'm 12 inside my head, so you got to understand that. But I, I love that. And we'd go to the Cherokee Nation, and, and of course they would have Native Americans uh, dressed, they would dress in, in some sort of Native costume. I don't know how accurate it was, I'm sure it was. But, but there would be these things you could buy in the gift shops, right? And I got a big shield, a, a, a wooden shield, and it had the Cherokee Nation symbol on it. And, and, uh, and, and I would get a tomahawk made out of a rock they picked up out of the river, and they glued it to a piece of wood, painted it, and said it was a tomahawk. So I had one of those, you know. And, and, and I thought, man, I'm getting the real deal here. And then one day I turned that shield over, and on the back it said, Made in Japan. <laughs> Seriously. And I was disappointed. But as a kid, I didn't have the maturity or the understanding to distinguish between reality and a counterfeit. Last week, we talked about the reality of who God wants us to be uh, and to, to act in love, to imitate God and act in love. Today, it's kind of a, a I don't want to say a downer, but a negative perspective because many people accept Satan's counterfeit to God's reality. And specifically in love. And these verses are about that. And since I go straight through, got to cover them, okay? Uh, and so I'm going to cover those things, but... But there are people that accept Satan's counterfeit in a lot of areas. Uh, they, they will accept Satan's counterfeit uh, instead of being disciplined in their giving, saving, and, and dealing with money. They'll accept Satan's counterfeit and run up a huge debt on their credit card seeking immediate gratification, right? Instead of depending on what God has supplied. Oh, I went straight to meddling? Is that, is that what happened there? I skipped over the preaching part, huh? Uh, you know, we, we, we do that in, in other areas. Instead of having a relationship with God, we'll substitute that with a, a religious practice, a regular religious practice. We'll make a religion. We'll have something that, instead of having a... Because a relationship's dynamic, right? It's got its up and downs. Now, of course, when we're talking about relationship to God, all the ups and downs are on our side of it. Because He's constant. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, Right? I've loved you with an everlasting love, right? Can you say amen to that? Amen. Uh, uh, but, but so many times we make it into something God doesn't mean for it to be. And instead of being filled with the Holy Spirit, we rather would take a pill or, or drink a bottle. Instead of being filled with God's Spirit, we substitute it with man's spirits, uh, in, in a sense. Uh, instead of having the peace of God that passes understanding, we seek a false euphoria. We seek some kind of cloud of, of just getting away from our pain and, and our suffering. And Satan's counterfeit, just letting you know, will always cause you to enjoy life less. There's the old saying, all that glitters is not gold. J.R. Tolkien in Lord of the Rings turned that around and said, all that's gold doesn't glitter. And sometimes when we look at what God has to offer, it doesn't look too appetizing, to tell you the truth. We, you know, when we witness people, we say, oh, don't you want to go to heaven? But becoming a Christian is not about going to heaven. Going to heaven is just what happens when we die. 
Being a Christian means to be a Christ follower on this earth to do what Christ has called us to do here and now, to follow Him with all of our being and all of our life. And so whenever we accept Satan's counterfeit instead of God's ideal, we settle for less. Amen? But here's the worst thing you need to know about Satan's counterfeit. Go ahead and put it up next slide, brother. Satan's counterfeit will take you to hell. I'm going to prove that out of this text today. So if you would stand with me. And we want to read from this scripture. Beginning in verse 3. Now, now remember the context. The context of last week was the context of the end of verse of chapter 40. To not grieve the Holy Spirit, but be kind to one another and tenderhearted and forgiving as God forgave you. And then the first couple of verses says, so imitate God and, and, and walk in love. Our, our life is to be exampled by love, which is self-denial, in order that I might give myself to the one love for their sake, seeking nothing in return. I'll probably say that a lot, so if you didn't get it, you can get it later. And then verse 3 starts this. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Just so I can emphasize what I said a minute ago, Satan's counterfeit will always take you to hell. Let me reread verse... Five, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I didn't write it. I'm just a paper boy. I just throw it up there on the porch and you can read it. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. Father God, we pray in Jesus' name, O Lord, help us to see clearly your word. And Lord, may we have a holy fear of not walking with you through this life. Give us your grace. Give us your enabling to live the life you call us to live. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You can be seated if you want to. The counterfeit talked about in these verses is the counterfeit of God's kind of love with man's kind of love. And I just threw out a definition. It's one of my favorite, well, it is my favorite definition of love. If I asked you to define it, you would define it many different ways. But but love is self-denial. Love does not please itself. Love always gives. I pause because y'all supposed to say amen there. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about a true definition of love. But a worldly definition of love, it always, it always takes. So God's love is self-denial in order that I may give myself away to the one loved for their sake. Not just loving them uh, in, in a way that doesn't help them, but a way that is helpful. In other words, love may require for you to bring discipline into someone's life. If you love your children, you'll discipline them, right? And, and, you know, the classic parent phrase, this going to hurt you a lot more. I mean, it's going to hurt me a lot more. It's going to hurt you. I just looked at my dad and said, liar. No, I didn't. <laughs> but it does hurt us, our hearts, to have to bring discipline to our children. But if we love our children, we will bring discipline because we know the end results of a lack of discipline, right? Self-denial means that I deny myself to give myself to the one loved for their sake, seeking nothing in return. Now, listen, no man will ever love like God loves, and himself especially, because we're incapable of that kind of self-denial. In other words, none of us ever will have 100% pure motive for the love that we express and show. If we did, all our marriages would be great. But because we expect something back, we expect appreciation, we expect acknowledgement, we expect not to be taken for granted, we expect a compliment, we expect some mercy, we expect some grace. But so many times when we get into that way of thinking, we don't think about what are we giving. Are we giving all those things, right? You with me? I'm just putting out in here in general before we get specific what the Bible's saying. So, so 
the, uh, the world's kind of love or Satan's counterfeit is a love that is full of lust and covetousness and sensual pleasure. Satan's counterfeit of love will always be self-serving and self-seeking. It will demand its right. First Corinthians says love does not demand its own right. Right? So, you know, and, and I'm going to say something. I'm not saying this about people. I'm saying this about an idea, okay? Everybody agree with that? You understand what I'm about to say? That, that that's what I mean? You with me? I'm not going to say it if you don't agree with me. Okay. So in the world, we see a demand that I acknowledge that love between a man and a man or a woman and a woman is normal. And it's okay. I have never walked up to somebody and go, Hi, my name's Stuart, and I'm a heterosexual. Why this thing of being so out there with it? Because it is self-seeking. It is seeking pleasure for self, not forgiving. Say you're judging everybody. Listen, if you knew my life, you would know I'm not judging anybody. I'm trying to tell you that God's ideal is that we give, not get. And when we look at how the world loves, I'll, I'll bring it down more where you live. I mean, I could talk about Hollywood, and you see that all the time. But I do counseling with people before they get married. And I love asking this question. So if you're a young person and one day you think I'm going to marry, uh, help, help you get married, uh, go ahead and write this down so you'll know the right answer. But I always ask them, man, why do you want to marry her? Why do you want to marry him? And here's what they always say. They complete me. They love me. They don't, you know, guys don't say they completely go, well, nobody ever understood me like her, and she makes me feel good, and she helps me. <laughs> That's how guys talk. Girls go, oh, he's so wonderful. He's so kind and thoughtful. See, men marry women, expect them never to change, and women marry men, expect them to change them, and both are severely disappointed. I have yet to have a young person look at me and say, because I want to give myself away and serve her. I want to give myself away and serve him. The right answer is we can serve God better together than we could separately. That's the only reason to get married. Now, did I love my wife? Yeah. Was she? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But she's the first person I love more than I love myself. I, I say that all the time. and It's just true. Every other time I knew that I wanted something from them. But I wanted, to, I wanted to serve God with her. I wanted to give myself away to her. And she has done more so. She's lived that more than I can talk about it. Uh, more than I can. I mean, I'm talking about it. She's actually done that. World's kind of love always pleases me. And here's the problem with that. Well, I'll, I'll, I can illustrate it in a very short phrase. That's two ticks without a dog. Somebody's going to run out of juice quick. And then what? Well, you both die because you don't have a host, right? And so God's way is this, that we love God enough that he is all we need. That I don't have to, I'm going to speak just like in marriage here. I don't have to marry Janice to be complete. She doesn't have to marry me to be complete. I am complete in Christ. But because I'm complete in Christ and because he wants us to be in that God-ordained partnership in life, he brought us together in the fullness of time, of his time, that we should be married and serve him and have a family. You with me? Now, this passage isn't just talking about marriage. I'm using marriage more as an illustrative way, uh, illustrative thing. But, but that's what God did. When I, when I was single, and I didn't, get, I didn't marry Janice until physically my age was 28 years old. I met her when I was 27, married her when I was 28. That was May to December, just in case you want to know. Um, my mom looked at me one day and said, son, why don't you date more? And I said, because God knows my address. And when it's right, she'll be there. And that's what happened. Now, I'm not saying I'm always right, but I, I firmly believe that, that, 
that instead of seeking the right person, we ought to seek to be the right person, and we ought to be the right person before God. And then God will take care of that later. I'm preaching to all the single people. If you're married, listen, you better figure it out and get right with God if you're, if you're in trouble because that's why God called you together. Okay? Somebody, well, should I leave my husband or wife to get it right? No. Get it right where you are. Don't, don't, don't be foolish that way. That's not, that's not right. So here's what I want you to see. First of all, there's a big conjunction here. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and confess. See the first word in verse 3? I don't know if it says it in your version. Mine is the ESV. The very first word in verse 3 in my Bible is the word but. Is that your word? I started to call this, that's a big but, but I figured I'd get in trouble. So I didn't say that. That's a big, I had to look up the word conjunction. I wasn't sure what it was, but, but it's a conjunction. And then he goes on and he starts saying, but, and he lists three things that are not God's way of love. The first word he uses in my Bible is sexual immorality. This is the word from which we derive the word pornography, which is, is sexually sinful. Graphy means writing or, or a picture. So that's where we get the word, but it's the Greek word pornea, which means sexual immorality. It's, it's not God-ordained, a, a legitimate expression of God's kind of, that he wants us to have in physical love. Try and be careful in case you've got children here. So, so sexual immorality covers all of that. Every last bit of it. If it's not God's will, it's pornea. What is God's will? One man, one woman, one lifetime. Except for death. One of them dies, you're free to remarry. But other than that, that's it. Anything outside of that is lust. It desires its own satisfaction. It refuses to to be unhappy. Well, I'm not happy and God wants me happy. No, he doesn't. He wants you holy. He could not care less whether you're happy or not. Now, I say that you understand. Sure, he wants you well, no, I, I'm not sure he wants you happy. It was, you think Jesus, ha, Jesus was happy to do the will of God? You think he's happy to go to the cross? No, he said, Lord, is there any other way, Father, is there any other way to get out of this? Don't make me drink this cup, but if it's your will, your will be done. Right? And so Jesus went to the cross by, because of the will of God and the desire to his love for his father. Because of his love that he had for us and for his father, but mainly for his father, he paid the price for our salvation. He paid the price that we would be a follower. And that is totally opposite to pornea. And all pornea is self-serving. The second word there in my Bible, it says impurity. Yours may have a little different um, uh, word. But all impurity uh, just means anything that is unclean. But there's, a, there's an interesting fact about this word, and uh, it, you can write this down. You don't have to look at it. But in Matthew chapter uh, 20, uh, 23 and verse 27, Jesus uses the same word when he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. This word refers to any Thing that is outside the will of God, all things that are filthy and unclean. And the, and the other time this is used, it was used by Jesus when he talked about what's inside a tomb. And if you think about a rotting body in a tomb, you get the picture of what God thinks of our not loving like he loves. Thirdly, is covetousness. And this word just means extortion. It's sexual greed. It's wanting, it's, it's desiring to fulfill yourself instead of helping the other person. He says there, um, or covetousness, my version says covetousness, your mind you say greed, must not even be named among you, which is not, uh, which is not proper among saints. I'm going to skip over that phrase because there's even more in verse 4. Look with me at the, at the next verse. Go to the next one uh, slide, my friend. Even more, filthiness. Okay, in verse 4 he says, Let there be no filthiness. That is a general obscenity. That's just being nasty. Alright? He said, don't, don't do that. Foolish talking. 
comes from two words. The word moros, which means stupid, and the word lagos, which means word or talk. Guess what? This word doesn't appear anywhere else in the Bible. He says, don't, don't use stupid talk. Now, in the, sense, in, the, in the context here of talking about sexual immorality and sexual sin, uh, the, the word before that being a general obscenity, he's saying, that's just stupid. Don't be stupid. Don't do that. Don't, don't denigrate the one you love. I, I, I read a, a story about uh, our, one of our former presidents, George W. Bush, not H.W., but W., the, the second Bush, and, and he was helping his dad in the campaign when he lost. And, and George Bush was, uh, W. was flying on an airplane with a couple of senators, schmoozing them, bringing them to meet George H.W. or something. And the story is that those two senators began talking about their conquests, their, you know, secretaries, whoever, and just in very gross and graphic terms. And the story is that George W. Bush held up his glass of water and said, Gentlemen, I would like to propose a toast to Laura Bush. And took a drink of water. And they said they shut up and they quit right then. And they never spoke about anything like that in his presence again. What did he do? Instead of engaging in stupid talk, he elevated it and convicted them Without even telling them they were wrong, he just said, I want to propose a toast to Laura Bush, his wife, whom he loved and still loves. What an example. And that's the opposite of foolish talk. I'm not sure I could, could illustrate foolish talk in, a, in the way that it's written, but that is the opposite of it. And then third, the third word there, sorry, is crude joking. And that's turning everything into a sexual joke. That's what that literally means. In other words... Somebody's talking about one thing and you just turn it. And that's what I was, I was trying to say about uh, the, the, the agenda of, of, you know, the whole LBGTQXR, XYZ, whatever, community is that everything turns to that. Everything. And, and, and in pornography, same thing. Uh, all this, all this, this gross evilness, it just turns it immediately something pure. In Titus it says, to the pure all things are pure, but to he who is defiled, nothing is pure. And that's what this word that we get crude joking from means. It's like, you know, well, I won't even, you know, well, I will, I will use it. Some of y'all won't even get it. You're either too old or too young to get this. But there was a cartoon, and, and uh, it was two teenage boys. And every time somebody would say a word, like I started today with, that's a big conjunction. You go, hey, hey, You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's crude joking. Everything turns ugly. Everything goes bad. Well, look at the payoff in verse 5. I told you about this already. For you may be sure that of this, everyone who is sexually immoral and pure, or who is covet, covetous, that is, an idolater. All covetousness is idolatry. Why? Because you are making something else your supreme desire. Right? So if you're coveting something other than God, if you're saying, I gotta have that, I just I gotta have it, that's covetousness, right? I can't live without it. I've gotta have it. If that's anything but God, it's idolatry. So all covetousness is idolatry. Did you follow that? Y'all are real quiet because I'm I'm people always tell me, you stepped on my toes, and and I wanna say, well, I missed, because I was aiming for your heart, but I'm stepping on my own toes today. I'm not, I'm not up here like I am the supreme, pure example. You know, nine out of ten men have lusted after someone, not their wife. The tenth guy's lusting after the other nine guys. We, we, we all have suffered. We, that's just a way of illustrating. All men have the same issue that they have to, they have to deal with. Why? Let me, let me just slow that down a second. I didn't plan to do this. Let me slow that down. Adam looked upon the fruit that it was good to eat and it was desirous. Right? And it could make one wise. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Jesus in the wilderness. 
Lust of the flesh. Well, if you're God, turn these stones to bread. Lust of the eyes. Look at the kingdoms of the world. I'll just give them to you. Pride of life. Jump off the temple. Angels will carry you down. They'll all know you're the son of God. Adam failed. Jesus passed. Jesus got the victory. He is our last Adam. And now we are born under him because he won the victory. But when we're in Adam, we still have this problem with the lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes because that's who we are. And especially us guys. Women too, but especially us guys. You with me? And lust does not have to be after a woman. It could be after a new stereo or sound system. It could be after a shotgun. It could be after a house. It could be after a boat. Okay. I know you're not real happy right now. But I hope that, that, that you'll let God use his word in your heart to understand this. And verse 5 is extremely sobering. For you may be sure that this, everyone who's sexually immoral and pure or who is covetous, that is an idolater. When you want something more than you want, God has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Why? Whose kingdom is it? Exactly. My wife and I, we enjoy watching this series on Netflix. It's historically inaccurate in its timeline and much of what it says. So we read the real history. But we enjoy how they dramatized it. And it's called Turn. It's about Washington spies. And we just finished the part where Benedict Arnold turned. And you know why in real history why Benedict Arnold turned? Because he didn't get what he thought he deserved. That they were elevating congressmen's children to positions of power in the army and places and they didn't pay him what he thought he deserved for his service and they didn't make him a higher ranking officer as he thought he deserved and he became a traitor to America because he didn't get what in other words in a childish snit I'm going to pick up my marbles and go home he betrayed our country and God says, if I'm not your number one and number two and number three and number four, because number, if there's a number one, there's got to be a number two, right? Well, to say God is number one means he's one in all things. He is the, it. God says, you don't have an inheritance in my kingdom. You say, wow, that's, that's pretty strong. Good. Because I don't want us to be comfortable in coming to church on Sunday morning. And I don't want to make these pews a comfortable place for you to go to hell from. God's got to be our ultimate desire. Man, we went all the way back to the first slide. Go ahead and uh, jump to uh, the Galatians slide. There's a picture. There we go. Here's what it says in Galatians 5, 17. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do, or, or, or want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Go to the next one. Now the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, uh, jealousy, fits of anger, uh, rivalries. Dissension, thank you, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Stop for a minute. Don't, don't leave, leave the slide right there. I want you to see that in those things listed are four main categories of sin. First one is what we're talking about, sexual sins. Sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality. So we can make a category of sin out of those called sexual sin. Anything we do outside the will of God in, sec- in a sexual way is a sexual sin. The second grouping we see, it says idolatry and sorcery. And that is a wrong exercise of religion. I, I said, if we have a relationship with God, it will show itself in, in, uh, in, in some sort of religious exercise. But we make a God out of our church service, we make a God out of our program, we make a God out of what we do on Sunday so that we can't do anything different, now we, we're doing it wrong. But even more than that, if you've, uh, uh, Jehovah Witness, Mormonism, uh, Buddhism, any other religion is a wrong exercise of religion. 
occult included. And so that's a category of sin. Anybody that does not express a relationship to God through Christ in the way he is revealed in Scripture, it's a religious sin. You can be religious and go to hell. Y'all knew that, right? Some people come to Baptist churches every week aren't going to heaven. Just saying. The next one are, uh, I call them Baptist sins because we, we, we don't think they're real sins. Notice what they are. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy. Sounds like a Baptist business meeting, doesn't it? I can't believe they're doing it like that. Well, who died made me God. Right? I call those sins of attitude. It's a bad attitude. But sins of our attitude. By the way, the Proverbs today, Proverbs 23, it lists all of these things in there. It's amazing. I never noticed that before today. And then the last one we see there, and there's actually five, there's only four here, is drunkenness and orgies. All the Baptists just wipe their head. Man, I've never been a part of an orgy and I've never been drunk. Wait a minute. What that means is you indulge your own physical appetites. It's an indulgence in my appetite. So if my appetite is for butter pecan ice cream and I eat it to my hurt, I'm indulging. Drunkenness is an overuse of alcohol. An orgy is an overuse of something God gave us. And it's doing it in a wrong way as well. Now sometimes because of that, somebody who is having this sexual problem, it could be just they have gone crazy in pleasing their own body, or it could be that they have a perversion which is up at the top. And it's hard to distinguish between those two. But guess what? All of y'all have trouble with one of those categories. There's a fifth category. It's in the passage we're looking at. It's greed or covetousness. We desire our own will more than God's will. There's no sin you can come up and tell me that I can't put in one of those five categories. Now that I've read them, I'm not going to ask you to say anything or write anything. But in your mind, you're going, please don't say it. Please don't say it. Please don't say it. You got a problem with one of those. One third of all men in churches have viewed or are addicted to pornography. Another third of all men in church, or two thirds of them, have at least viewed it. And the last third, obviously, have to discipline themselves or struggle against it. It's a pervasive thing in our society. Since we're talking about sexual sin, I'll just go ahead and tell you that. My son called me excited the other night Dad, it was 10 30 at night. I'm asleep before then, usually. But that night, for whatever reason, I was up. I wasn't even in the bedroom. My phone rang. I picked it up. It was him. When it's a child and you're a parent, they've moved away from home, you always answer it. And you answer it this way. Hey, son, are you all right? And he said, yeah, Dad, just got home from Bible study. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And he went, oh, wait, it's late. I said, yeah, it is, but it's okay. Are you asleep? No, I wasn't asleep. It's okay. Go ahead. He said, man, these guys here in, in Lynchburg have written this study. It's called Proven Men. And he said, it's really good, and we're going through it, and it helps you with porn and, and, and lust and all those things. And, and he said, and Southern Baptists have just picked it up. He said, the church you go to, it's, it's still like Southern Baptist, isn't it? That's how, that's how I wear my son as a denomination. And I said, yes, son, it's Southern Baptist. He said, okay, well, they just picked it up. Maybe you can get ahead of the curve and get it for your guys because it's really good. So, guys, we're, we're going to try to get that. And then, he, and then he said something else. He goes, hey, I want to ask something else. So what he said, do you happen to know a pastor named... Kareem? I said, yeah. He goes, really? I said, yeah. He said, well, I'm in this Bible study with his, with his son, Shade. I said, yeah, that's our missions pastor. No way! So he was all excited. Just a light moment because it's very heavy. Guys, we, we, have, you know, we all have a problem in one of these areas. You either have a, a sexual perversion... You have a bad attitude. You, you, you indulge in your appetite. You, you, don't, you, you get messed up in your religious exercise or you're greedy and covetous. You want yourself more than others. I want to show you an illustration up here. I, I hope it comes through. It's kind of little to me. You might not can really see that good. I call that the sin tree. 
at the top, I'll just tell you what it is. Each one of those big branches at the top is one of those areas with the text by it, okay? But on those fat branches are little branches and then leaves. And what happens is we see a leaf fluttering in the wind and we think that's a problem. We identify that as a problem. Let's say it's drunkenness. And so what do we do? We try to get people not to drink, right? Right? We got to try to get them not to do the bad activity they're doing, but that's not their problem. Their problem is, number one, they got a sin nature. And their problem really is that they have developed a lifestyle of living that. So whether it be a sexual sin or wrong religion or a bad attitude or, or an indulgence in appetite or greed, they're living that lifestyle. And so that fat branches up there. But as you come down the trunk, you can't really read it that well probably. But at the bottom, the left root says voluntary and the right root says imposed. Now here's what that means. There are people and 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 someone very close to me is one who has an imposed sin problem. What is that? Imposed means they didn't originate it, it was done to them. This particular person was abused sexually as a child. And uh he and his brother. One of the brothers uh, became a homosexual and died of AIDS. Got saved two weeks before he died. The other brother, just as he got older, became a drug, uh, not a legal drug, a prescription addict and an alcoholic. Lost his wife, lost his family, lost his job, totally ruined his life. He didn't start that. He didn't wake up one day and go, I think I'll do this. He was... He was Taken in and, and messed up. Okay, the other one is voluntary. That means one day you go, I wonder what it'd be like if I, and you try it. And you know what all the grown-ups said? Well, you know, he's just a young man. He's got to sow his wild oats. You heard that? What, what crop do you get if you sow wild oats? You get wild oats. You sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. So let's not make excuses for people in sin. But that is a voluntary thing. But here's the deal. You go, well, somebody that was imposed, he can't help that. Oh, yeah, my friend does, has to help it. And he did help it. He finally got to some Christian rehab. He was in it for over a year. And in the middle of that, he realized he had to make a choice. You see, no matter how that nature starts up in us, how the problem in our life starts, you have a responsibility and a choice to say no and access the grace of God to live the life that God called you to live. And you, if you're a Christian, you're without excuse because the God who spoke the world into existence will never leave you or forsake you. He says, whatever you lack, I'll give it to you. You seek me and I will give you everything you need. That's called grace. And so if you're sitting there struggling, you need to have a showdown. And I, I point out those roots because what you have to do is go back to that root and repent there. You don't repent of drinking. You repent of the time I decided to start drinking or the circumstances of my life. And instead of going, taking them to God, I took them to this particular thing, this alcohol or this other thing to cope. And you repent there and say, God, you were not number one in my life. And I, I rejected you and I chose this. But now I reject that and I choose you. And thank you for saving me and making me a child of God. And from this day forward, I want to walk with you. That's what Colossians 3 is all about. Or Colossians 1. Where he says he took us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of light. We no longer are slaves to sin. Romans 6 and verse 6. We don't have to serve sin. We, he breaks the chain for us. That's why in sign language, tell me if I'm wrong, y'all, that means salvation. The chains are broken. I've been set free. You follow me? Okay, I know that was a lot at once. Just want to make you aware of it. We can sit down and talk about that at some point. I got some other illustrations of it, but for time's sake, I'm not going to go on with it. But I want you to see that because I want you to see the big warnings that he gives us in these verses. That was a pretty big warning. But look what he said in verse 3. I skipped over and I want to go back to it just for a second. It says, don't even let it be named among you. It's not proper among saints. As a, as a child of God, it would not be proper for me to act that way. It would not be proper for me to live that way. 
Because I belong to God. And here's how people that belong to God act. I mean, when the king and queen of any country have a child, part of that child's education is how does a king and queen act? How does a prince or a princess act? How do they speak? What do they do when they run into this kind of person? Well, how do they respond and how do they interact? Because they have to learn to act like a child of the king. Right? And so that's what we call discipleship. We're learning how to act like a child of the king. He says, so don't let this stuff be named. Paul here is trying to let us know. Listen, because next week we're going to come back and says, hey, that used to be you, but that isn't you anymore. Uh, uh, in, in fact, if, if you just look there at verse 8. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you're in the light. He's just saying, look, I know this is how you used to be, but don't be that way anymore. Because you're not there anymore. Now you're in the light, you can go on, okay? Just give you some hope. We're coming to it next week. But, but listen, he says, don't even let it be named among you. Don't even, don't do that. Don't even think about it. Don't, don't get there. Because you're a child of God. And it's a huge warning. Stay away from it, is, is what I got. You can go into that, that yeah. Just stay away from it. Uh, at one brief time in my life, I studied a form of karate. And they had four A's when it came to trouble. They said, you're going to run into trouble, and there are four A's. The first one is awareness. Be aware of your surroundings at all times. Second is avoidance. When you're aware trouble is brewing, avoid trouble. Get away. Then third is anticipate. That means the trouble's coming at you, and you can't get away. And then the fourth one is then act, and you better act with 100%. Because they said, karate, self-defense, 99% mental and 1% physical. But if it ever becomes physical, that goes to 100% quick. One time my mom asked me, said, son, what would you do if you ever had to use that karate? Because, you know, she thought I was Bruce Lee or something, I guess. (laughs) And I said, I did have to use it. She said, When? I said, Trey, who's my best friend, Trey and I were at 7-Eleven the other day. And, and back then they had these hat pins, you know, got, it was like urban cowboy days almost, and they put these hat pins in, you know what I'm talking about? And one said something about Texas, and me being the smart aleck I am, I'm in Charleston, so I didn't think anybody from Texas would be there. I said to Trey, hey Trey, you know Texans ought to be grateful for people from Tennessee. He said, why? I said, because if those 30 men from Tennessee hadn't showed up, the Alamo would have fallen even quicker. Yeah. If you're from Texas, I apologize again. And I heard this voice say, that's a lot of, and then I can't say the rest. And I looked up, and this dude was probably 6'5", 250, cowboy hat. And I went, oh, that was bad. And he kept cussing me. And my mom said, what did you do? I said, I grabbed my big gulp and ran. <laughs> Stay away from trouble. When you see it coming, run. One of the greatest heroes of the Bible, Joseph in the Old Testament, ran to get away. Why? Because he was scared of it? No, because he was scared of himself. I've never intentionally let alcohol pass my lips, the drink. I'm Scott Irish. I just might like it. So I just avoid it. It's that simple. Let's not fool ourselves. Oh, I'm saved and sanctified. I can't sin anymore. <laughs> yeah, you can. And you will. But if you're living this lifestyle that the Bible here is describing, you do not have hope of heaven. Let me just tell you something. The grand doctrine, you say, well, I'm saved. And I thought we believe once saved, always saved. We do. But if you're saved, you'll act differently because you're a child of God. And I'm not going to give you a comfortable place to lie down and rest if you're living in sin. Because the Bible doesn't give us that place. And here's what he goes on to say. Uh, Not only stay away. A second thing, I think it's, uh, uh, let me check my reference. Verse 4. Use thanksgiving. In verse 4, he says, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Why thanksgiving? Because thanksgiving is always selfless instead of selfish. Because when you're thankful, you're saying, You have given me something I could not get for myself. You've bestowed something on me. For
for which I am grateful. And it doesn't have anything to do with covetousness. It has to do with, I am grateful for the gifts that you've given me. God has gifted each one of us with his blessing. He's made you exactly to be who God wants you to become and to be. But when we squander it, when we we give it away in the wrong way, we lose that. And, And so we ought to back up and say, God, I'm thankful for how you made me. I'm thankful that I'm yours. I'm thankful that I can live this life. And then the other thing, the big warning, is don't be a partaker. Look at verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Don't become a partner with them. Don't join the world in its evil. Stay away from it. Don't do it. Be thankful to God for what he's given you. Husband, wife, are you thankful for your mate? Are you thanking God? Do you get up every morning and say, Thank you, God, for giving me my wife or my husband? Thank you that you gave me the one that's perfect for me. The first year of mine and Janice's marriage was horrible. She's sitting right on the front row. She can hear me. And she will tell you the same thing. We met in May, married in December. She was 23 when we married. She was in a church that had, was crawling with young single men because it was right next to an air base and a Navy base. And the pastor's daughter was Miss Charleston. A lot of boys there. I was 28 when we got married and had been a pastor since I was 19 and single. And I was old when I was born. And I thought beige walls and 70s green and orange furniture was just fine. And then we got married. And she's no longer being wined and dined by a bunch of guys with more money than sense. And she wanted to actually paint that house. Are you kidding me? What's wrong with this? And we struggled and struggled and struggled because we each kind of wanted our own way. It'll be 30 years in December just to let you know. God gave me the one that was perfect for me. I wouldn't be standing here with you today if not for how God uses her in my life. I promise you that. I was engaged before I knew her. Don't go, ooh, she was engaged three times before she knew me. But <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but I just had to say something. I thank God that that other girl called me one day and said, I will either break you now or break you later, and I'd rather break you now. Oh, it broke me too. I was heartbroken because when I... When I commit, I'm done. That's it for life. Janice asked me one time, what if I did go crazy and leave you? What would you do? I said, I'd go with you. (laughs) She said, seriously. I said, I am serious. (laughs) It's a fine line between love and stalking, but I'm there, okay? (laughs) I'm going with you. Listen, are you thankful to God for the gifts he's given you? God has given you a legitimate expression For for all of this, are you grateful? Are you seeking to please yourself? Listen, ladies, if you're having trouble with your husband, sit him talk to me. I'll be glad to talk to him. Husbands, having trouble with your wife, call call us. Janice will talk to him. But I'm go go ahead and warn you. I pick on the men more than the women. Okay. In fact, when a guy comes and tells me how horrible his wife is, I say, "What kind of husband have you been to turn her into such a thing?" Because God calls us men to love and nurture our wives as Christ loves the church. And Christ has never abused his church. So anyway, don't be a partaker. Don't join the world as evil. Live a different life. So here's some things we might do. First of all, make yourself sensitive to any place where you've deviated from the will of God. You say, well, it's not that bad. Or it's just in my head. I haven't actually done anything. Really? Did y'all drive to church this morning? If you, if you rode in a car or drove to church this morning, raise your hand. So you just got out of bed and suddenly found yourself in a moving car on the way to church. No, you thought about that. You said, I'm going to get up, going to take a bath, whatever, get a shower, eat breakfast, comb my hair, brush my teeth, put on makeup, whatever it was. Going to get my keys, go out, get in the car and go to church. You may not have consciously thought that, but you didn't do that without thinking about it. Where are my keys? Where's the car? Do we have gas? we got to go. Let's go. 
So if you're thinking about something you shouldn't be thinking about, one day you may go, I think I'll try that. You don't think advertisers don't know that? Let me tell you the commercials that work, the ones that you don't forget. They don't care if you hate it or love it. They just don't want you to forget it. And Satan's the master advertiser. He makes things that are not gold to glitter until you want it and you want it and you want it until you no longer want God, you want that. And now you're in trouble. Secondly, make sure you don't have a false assurance. I'm not the kind of guy to say, oh, you didn't really mean it or anything else, but you know whether you are right with God or not. And if you've got a false assurance, if you just think you're going to heaven because you prayed a prayer one day and you go to church on Sunday, you might ought to check that. Because if you're not walking with Christ every day in absolute obedience, no matter... Psalm 15 says, the one who sees the holy hill swears to his own hurt and changes not. In other words, when it gets hard, you don't quit. You keep going. And then thirdly, avoid at all costs becoming entangled in the devil's trap. A wise man told me one time, choice is lost by choice. In other words, one day you choose to do something wrong and you keep going. I want to ask, if you're married, would you raise your hand? I just want, if you're not married, I want you to look around especially. But everybody look around. Okay, if you're married. All right, now put your hands down. How many of you, on the very first time you met your husband or wife, or your very first date, you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt you're going to marry them? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, I, I was one of those. Okay, you see the difference? That first choice makes a huge difference. Huge difference. I said it this morning in Bible study, or in prayer. If you don't want to go to Richmond, why would you get on 64 East? I know you want to go to Charlottesville, but... I get the illustration breaks down. Give me a break. My point is this. Don't get on a road that takes you somewhere you don't want to go. Jesus said there's a broad way and a narrow way. And the broad way is comfortable. A lot of people on the broad way, but there's not a companion that sticks closer than a brother. There are even churches on the broad way. You can be religious and be on the broad way, but there's a narrow way that leads to heaven. And the only people travel that is you and Jesus together. So get on that highway and stay there. Get on that little path and stay there. Avoid the highway. Avoid the road. They'll take you where you don't want to go. Because the, the, the deal is it may be comfortable, but the end is hell. But on that narrow path, it may be difficult, but the end is heaven. And don't accept the little wooden shield that was painted in Japan as being a Cherokee Indian shield. 